everyone. Welcome to the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast, where mistakes are welcome, nothing is off limits, and growth is inevitable. I am Sharissa Wood. I'm Brittany Simon. And we are putting our brains together to bring you the tools you need to elevate your hygiene practice, build amazing team culture, and provide patients with the very best care. Our mission is to help empower and equip every hygienist to practice purposeful, profitable hygiene. We look to guide you on your journey towards career fulfillment by providing support, collaboration, and community to our profession. As two of the top producing hygienists in the country, we know firsthand that these things lead to sustainable and fulfilling practice and the happy side effect of high profitability. So let's get to it. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another week of Bulletproof Hygiene. I hope everyone has had a wonderful week of patient care and taking great care of yourself. Um, Today, I am super excited to introduce all of our listeners to Megan Barnett. Megan is a functional nutritionist. She's practicing in Oregon, and she treats patients with her own practice, but also collaborates and treats patients with a Dr. Kelly Blodgett, who is a holistic dentist, and we'll get into that. I think that's super, super cool and exciting. Um, This multi-practitioner, total wellness, root cause approach is what I hope and dream that dentistry will become in the very near future. And I had the pleasure of hearing Megan speak at a recent conference for PerioProtect trays and was blown away by her passion, knowledge, and presentation. And I just knew I had to have her on the show. And I'm hoping maybe more than once because I feel like we could talk for hours. So Megan, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and taking your valuable time to connect with our listeners and share your passion. Would you mind doing a little self-intro to share about your journey through and to functional nutrition? I would love to, and thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. You know, my, um, my drive to learn about functional nutrition came after having my first kiddo who had a couple of strange food reactions, actually no major health problems, but odd food reactions that I didn't fully understand. And at that time I was in a career change. So I ended up going back to school and doing an undergrad in dietetics, which is very conventional nutrition. And it was a great foundation, but it really, uh, left me wondering what we might be missing with regards to affecting the underlying biochemistry with food and unique nutrients. And so I ended up uh, doing a graduate program in functional medicine and human nutrition, which built on my knowledge base and also left me asking more questions. (laughs) So I I finished that program thinking like, oh my gosh, I, I know a lot now, but I still have so much to learn. And I was really fortunate uh, to have a year abroad right after I finished my graduate program. We, my family, um, husband and two kids moved to Italy for a year. And I sort of freaked out, honestly, when we got there and thought, oh my gosh, what did I just do? I have this amazing education and I can't even practice. And uh, very cool things happened. And I ended up being able to uh, work as a research writer. And I wrote six books while I was living overseas for doctors as their ghostwriter. So you will not see my name on any of them, but I got to dig into the research and spend a whole year looking at different papers that answered the questions that I was asking. And it propelled me when we got back in 2018 to uh, move into my clinical practice with um, a lot of excitement. So that's, that's how I ended up in functional medicine and, and um, perpetually asking the question of why. (laughs) 
That's awesome. And what a cool opportunity to kind of take the time away. I, I feel like life is a series of we kind of find ourselves somewhere and go, oh my gosh, what am, I, what am I doing here? And then we look back and go, wow, without that, I wouldn't be where I am today. So that's, that's very cool. So true. Uh, tell, tell me a little bit, how did your collaboration with Dr. Blodgett get started? And what does that look like in real time? Because there, I feel like there's such a huge disconnect between, you know, the, the medical side of things, even the nutritional side of things and dentistry. So to see you two kind of merge together, that's very intriguing and interesting to me. So tell us a little bit about how that came to pass and what that looks like. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was probably well-primed for a relationship with Dr. Blodgett because I accidentally, um, uh, added a research writing class to my undergraduate work and ended up writing a 30 page paper on Dr. Weston Price. And man, that got my, my wheels spinning around the relationship between nutrition and oral health really early on. And then I had a patient and, you know, often this is the case, right? You have a patient that opens your eyes to a whole new way of thinking or a whole new avenue of research. So I had a patient who I'd worked with for quite some time and she really had an overall um, high level of health for not having to work too hard at it, to be honest. Just, she was genetically lucky, I'd say. And out of the blue, within a six month period of time, her cholesterol levels spiked significantly, like a 40 to 50 points total cholesterol and close to that in her LDL. And we were scratching our heads saying like, what, what changed? You don't feel different. You don't look different. You don't have any new symptoms. And we left our appointment with a big question mark. And about literally 10 minutes later, she called me from the car and she said, Hey, I just found out that I have multiple infected root canals and I have these, um, procedures scheduled to have the root canals removed and the infections cleaned out. Do you, do you think that could have anything to do with it? And I said, I have no idea, <laughs> but but I'm going to find out. So I was able to connect with her dentist who happened to be Dr. Kelly Blodgett. And that led me down a rabbit hole of literature, which um, helped me understand better how our body responds to these types of infections. Uh, and oftentimes that is with an increase of LDL and total cholesterol. So that's how our relationship began. And since then we've had lots of fun working and collaborating on patient cases together. Yeah, that's really, really cool. Um, you know, I find that there is a huge disconnect for patients and, and sadly, many dental providers too. Mm -hmm. uh, it comes to understanding that the signs and symptoms of disease go far beyond a few bacteria swimming around in the saliva and then an acute response to those bugs. They don't really get it or understand that the table has already been set and that the clinical signs we see are alarms of a deeper, more complex process, and that just addressing the symptoms does not solve the problem and can really be very dangerous for the long game of health and wellness. This is one of the reasons I love functional medicine so much because it goes after the root cause of disease and helps the body do what it was created to do. We are created to heal ourselves. Our body is designed that way. And before we get too far into this dental part of the equation, I have to ask you about something. And I, honestly, your story leads me into this. Um, but something you said at your lecture that was one of those really kind of heavy sentence statements that I heard you say, but it was one of those that would, was so, it was so much information in one sentence that my brain was like starting to explode. And I, I couldn't wrap it around before you kind of moved on to the next thing. And I was like, wait, 
wait, what was that? Like, that was a big deal. Like that was something I need to know. And it was what you're, I, I think what you're just talking about with this last patient, you said something about high cholesterol being a symptom of disease or dysfunction versus the cause and that the body is fighting something. And there's a relationship between general disease and abscesses. And I, you know, we're so trained to think high cholesterol is a problem in and of itself. Like that's the problem is you have too much cholesterol in your system. You're going to clean that out. I, I, you said that sentence and I was, I was like, wait, what? So I, I had, that was my first question for you is please digress. Please. <laughs> I would love to, I would love to. This was a, a huge aha moment for me. You know, we talk about cholesterol in our culture as bad cholesterol and good cholesterol. And, um, I, I, you know, I was just saying this morning, sometimes I feel like a perpetual toddler because I'm constantly in the state of why, 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 right? Because I'm with you. There's a reason our bodies respond the way that they respond. The laboratory markers that we run should be a clue that there's something else going on. So this is what I ended up learning with that, that first patient. I learned that when the body is in a state of inflammation, there's damage somewhere. And damage can be from an infection and it can be from an injury, generally speaking. It can also be from an imbalance when you are deficient in something or have excess of something, think toxins, heavy metals, et cetera. When there's damage in the body, because cholesterol is required to rebuild tissue, it's part of the cellular membrane. So think your cells are dying and then you need to go make new cells. Your liver gets a signal that says, hey, I need more cholesterol. Now, LDL is actually a protein that carries cholesterol. So I think of it as a delivery truck. When I explain this to patients, I say LDL is the Amazon delivery truck of cholesterol, and it drops off cholesterol throughout the body, wherever you may need it. It might be making hormones. It might be uh, repairing cells. It might be getting stuck in your vascular wall. And then we have problems, right? And HDL is the recycling truck. It is sent out by the liver to pick up the excess cholesterol. And that's why when we look at those markers, we care about the ratio, LDL to HDL. However, when you see an infection, there may be another signal happening. And that is that cholesterol is required to make lymphocytes, one of our primary white blood cells that fights infection. So when I see somebody that's chronically had elevated cholesterol, that doesn't necessarily tip me off because that may be genetic, familial, it, it may be a longer term, low level issue. But when I see their labs change quickly over a year, two years, that triggers me to look deeper into those root causes. Are we dealing with an injury? Are we dealing with an infection? And I would say it, it would fall more regularly to infection than injury, right? I don't necessarily see somebody has a rotator cuff um, injury and then they spike their cholesterol. That's, I see it more in the infectious side of things, likely because of that demand from lymphocytes. That is so, so interesting to me. Yeah. Very cool. Thank you for explaining that. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so I feel like we are all really familiar with the latest buzz phrase, leaky gut. We hear that. Every mm -hmm. And um, I've got another really good hygiene friend that kind of introduced me to the phrase leaky gums. Um, <laughs> yep. I've been using that with my patients when I see that inflammation, I, that redness, those spongy tissues and, you know, bleeding. And I do so because I know there's a direct correlation between the two. I mean, honestly, our gut starts in our mouth. It's that mm -hmm. tissue running all the way, you know, from end to end. So yep. 
Um, you know, could you speak to that as far as, you know, how that process works? And I know it can be bi-directional and why they must be treated together because, you know, we have, this is new for us in the dental side of things. You know, we haven't really thought about anything, you know, beyond, you know, we know that there's a big systemic connection. We know these bacteria are entering, you know, the, the, you know, esophagus and the lungs and the bloodstream. So we get that part, but I don't think we've really understood how, if there's a gut imbalance or dysbiosis, that's going to create more of a problem orally and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, you know, it's such a big field right now of research and it's so fascinating and exciting. When I talk about this specifically with my patients, I try to create a visual for them. And I think this visual can be helpful. We know that we have barriers in our body, on our body, around our body to protect us. Our skin is the most visible. You know, you know that when you get a uh, damage to your skin, let's just say that you get a paper cut. I mean, worst case scenario, could that paper cut get infected because there is access of microbes to your bloodstream? Yeah, you could get an infection. And hey, if everything went horribly, you could go septic. Like things could go very wrong, right? Because the barrier has been breached. And the cells that compose our skin are the same cells that compose the intestinal lining, the digestive tract. And so when I describe this, I say, let's just think of it as your inside skin because we can't see it. But if we have that visual, then we can start thinking, okay, well, what happens if the inside skin is damaged? If that barrier is damaged, it's similar. There's a direct line from inside the intestine where we have food particles. We have billions of microbes. We have maybe some things that are dangerous for us that our body's trying to get rid of. We can have pathogenic microbes, right? Mouth all the way down. And then we have a breached barrier. And so those things can move into the bloodstream when they otherwise should not be doing that. And so when we look at the oral microbes, I think about, well, how can these microbes that we now see in organs all over the body causing disease, oral microbes. How are they getting there? They may be getting there directly from the mouth with the relationship that we have to, you know, the endodontic tissue, the capillaries. There's all sorts of ways for those microbes to translocate just directly from the mouth, but you're swallowing them all day, every day. And so those microbes are moving into the small intestine and potentially the large intestine. And if there's damage to the barrier, they can move into the bloodstream. But even if there's not, let's just say in the very few people that maybe don't have any damage to that barrier right now, they still disrupt the microbial balance. Your microbiome is not the same in your mouth as it is in your stomach, as it is in the small intestine, large intestine, different environments. So different microbes thrive there. We know that certain oral microbes can disrupt the balance throughout the rest of the intestinal tract. And then we get symptoms that are localized. So it's not necessarily looking at those systemic issues with the other organ symptoms, but we may have gas, bloating, um, poor digestion, constipation, diarrhea, and it's a vicious cycle because any of those factors are going to then affect the intestinal barrier. So, you know, it, it's back to what you're saying. We, this is all one body. So we've thought about this area, you know, our mouth is the separate space, right? But the more we learn, the more we see all, everything is interacting with everything else. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the, the studies are now showing that I guess it's, they say it's 70% of our immune system lies within our gut. At least. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, we've got to think about that too. If we've got a patient that 
is already is compromised orally. So mm-hmm. we're, we're seeing that inflammation, those red spongy tissues, the bleeding, you know, we know at this point, they've, like you said, they've already been swallowing those microbes. So that's already an issue going on in the gut as well. We, we could, I think, easily kind of make that assumption. Yeah. And we know we have to be mindful of, well, if that's the case, then we know they're not where they need to be to fight this. So we have to be mindful of that as we are treating the oral aspects of, we rely heavily on their immune system to help heal this, correct? But sure. if the system is taking a hit and it's lumping along, then you know we're not going to see that patient respond to therapy like we would hope. So I think it has to be a two-pronged approach where we're having that conversation with the patient, like, hey, we got to focus on getting the gut healthy as well as the mouth healthy. Absolutely. Because I think we've historically thought of the the oral health as directly related to the food we're eating, like you're eating too much sugar, right? But just know that if you are being impacted in your mouth by your diet, you're being impacted all the way down. What you're seeing in the mouth is a reflection. It's, it's the canary, right? It's telling us that there's damage throughout the intestinal uh, tract. And I would say the same for skin. So skin and mouth are really great indicators that we have a much bigger problem. And they're, those re- are always bi-directional relationships. So problems in the mouth are gonna indicate problems in the digestive tract and problems in the digestive tract may very well exacerbate the problems in the mouth. So here's where we run into our, our problem with being able to communicate this to our patients. And this is why I'm so glad we're having this conversation is because you do work with Dr. Blodgett and I know you, you kind of, you guys manage patients together, you co-manage. So, you know, he is, you know, you know, that dentistry is kind of a very interesting animal as patients generally come to address a problem or just to get teeth cleaned. Um, and unfortunately, we don't have too many patients that come to say, hey, how can I really get and stay healthy? Like, that's my number one motivation. Yeah. But we have a big task in front of us in educating our patients well to the big picture, but in the small time allotment that we have to actually explain this and do the treatment they need, you know, and do the dentistry. And so you know, knowing that and, and being in that, can you give us some tips for how to have these conversations with patients, you know, where to start, who to connect them with for testing or collaborative care, how to engage them to get curious and want more for themselves? Yeah, it, it's a huge challenge. And it's a challenge, not only in dentistry, but in conven- conventional medicine, because providers are so limited on time that even when the desire is there, Um, You don't always have the opportunity. And I kind of joke that hygienists have the best opportunity because they've got their hands. Nobody can talk back to you for a while. You know, Um, you've got a captive audience, but I think that, I think that the approach is to engage the patient and say, listen, this is what I'm seeing in your mouth. Mostly when this is happening in the mouth, we know that there's going to be problems in other areas. We also know that there's an opportunity to use the mouth to gauge progress. So as we see things get better throughout the whole body, we're going to see things get better in the mouth. Here are the foundations. This is what we know. And when we talk about foundations, we're talking about solid nutrition, right? Whole foods. And it's not just a conversation about sugar. It's about diversity in our diet, right? Healthy fats. It is about sleep. It is about stress. And 
I like to ask the patients I work with, where do you feel like things are missing? Do you feel like you struggle with nutrition? Do you feel like, because although I'm a nutritionist, I, it's a whole body approach, right? Um, and ask them, where do they feel that they're vulnerable and where they might be willing to, to dig in? And, you know, I, I'll tell you, there are, there are many things we can do to support our patients. But until they get the foundations down, right, the sleep, the stress, the food, the exercise, the, the things we know that our mammal bodies need to thrive, all of the other things are going to, we're going to be really pushing this, this um, ball uphill, right? And, and we don't, we don't want to do that if we don't have to. So I think engaging our patients to just understand these basics, they're, they're not just some silly little thing people say like, oh, you should eat better. You know, it, this is, these are the foundations of our body, our immune system, our resilience, our tissue. And, you know, I, you know, that I, I have my clinical practice and in trying to help and support my patients, I started a second company because I felt like I'm missing something here. And interestingly, with all the supplements, all the micronutrients, all the nutrition protocols I was putting together for people. I was struggling to rebuild the tissue in my patient's guts, which I knew was going to be reflected everywhere. And I ended up finding literature around soluble fiber, because I think this is what we, we don't think about with these microbes. Microbes can do harm, but when they are symbiotic and synergistic with our body, the healthy microbes, they are, their byproducts are rebuilding our digestive tract. They are literally metabolizing and then excreting things called short chain fatty acids, which are the food for our colon cells. And so if we don't feed them, it's really hard for our bodies to rebuild properly and to keep those barriers strong. So that was what prompted me to start a soluble fiber company with different blends for different people. And that was with the intention of supporting people to rebuild, even when, because I think you, you've probably seen this, you may ask somebody to shift their diet. You may ask them to, to shift behavior and their bodies aren't ready to go zero to hundred. They need to go bit by bit by bit by bit. Right. And so one of the things I found I could help my patients with immediately was increasing their soluble fiber dietarily with what they were eating, but also with supplement because it shifted the microbiome balance in their guts. And in doing that, we were healing the gut. We were reducing inflammation. We were balancing blood sugar better. And we were seeing a whole body um, improvement. And it felt easy to them because sometimes you have to just start with easy, right? Well, for sure. And I will say that, you know, I struggle with knowing what I know, but not having the capacity to know the unseen. So, you know, what does this patient's nutrition look really look like? You know, where do they have deficiencies? Where, you know, what is all of the things that you can go test for and I have no idea on. So some are a little hesitant with, you know, having too deep of a conversation because I don't know where their deficiencies lie. So I'll say, hey, why don't we think about getting some testing done? Um, but, you know, I know that there are some basic things that we can just simply start to talk about. Like you said, the small steps. Additionally, mm-hmm. to start rebuilding a gut. Yes. So obviously your product, I know it's fluorosophy. I tried it myself. I'm a fan. Um, that's one way is to incorporate that fiber. Um, mm-hmm. 
Talk to me about some other just basic strategies that we can talk to patients about to help them rebuild that gut. Yep. So when we're thinking about supporting the gut, we are thinking about removing harmful things and adding in supportive things, right? So just like you would do in a garden, you pull your weeds and you also fertilize and you pull your weeds and you also fertilize. So that's how I always think about the gut, right? So what what we're thinking about is let's take out the foods that are inflammatory, if possible. Let's take out the refined foods, the processed foods, the sugary foods, because we know that we can slow or stop damage just by taking out the harmful the harmful substrates that feed the bacteria we don't want there or the microbes that we don't want to be there actually. And it's not just bacteria. And this is important. I think we see this a lot through the oral, um, being, being able to put eyes on oral health overgrowth of fungus throughout the digestive tract is almost a bigger issue in my clinical practice. And the, the food that feeds that is sugar and refined carbohydrates. So if we can pull back on sugar and refined carbohydrates and processed food, we're doing a huge amount of good just with that. On top of that, we have to keep it moving. So how often do you talk about constipation with your patients? Probably not that often. I don't know. It's not really a conversation um, that is super common in the dental field, but like you say, it's it's the end of the tube, right? Right. So So anytime there's stagnation. I have been asking that question a little more lately, just, you know, diarrhea constipation because Mm -hmm. it's indicative of what's going on. Exactly. So if you, if you are probing your patients a little bit towards like, what's the rest of this digestive tract doing? And you hear we have diarrhea or we have constipation. That's another place to dig in and to really talk to them about how to support the whole digestive tract moving. Because if there's stagnation, we have problems, but we also have problems if things are moving too quickly. And that is quite often a sign of an infection more than anything. Whereas constipation is not constipation is very commonly a sign of microbial overgrowth, food sensitivities, and other irritants. So when I'm talking to people about what's going on in their gut and where I think you can start is if there's any symptom, then you need to be checking it out, right? So start with really good nutrition. And if you're still not feeling great, then it's time to go down the rabbit hole then it's time to go down the rabbit hole. Because like you said, you don't necessarily have access to the testing, but it it's uh, the conversation for me is always around, don't ignore the sign. Don't ignore the symptom because it's communication from your body that something's off. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Talk to us about how nutritional deficiencies play in here, you know, specifically for the oral aspects. Yeah. You know, one of the other patients that Dr. Blodgett and I worked on that was probably the biggest standout for me um, was a, a woman that had periodontal disease and she was, she was seeing the rapid breakdown of her enamel as well as inflammation of the gums at 30 years old. And she had a long history of um, a diagnosis called leukopenia. So she had low white blood cell count and she was doing everything right. I mean, her nutrition, her sleep, her stress, I mean, she really had it dialed and she had a hematologist she'd been working with for a decade because she has low white blood cell count. And when she came to me referred by Blodgett, she said, um, you know, I've basically been told I'm going to get cancer because I don't have the white blood cells to fight it. We don't know what type and we don't know when, but when cancer occurs in our body, I won't have the resilience. And I said, wow, that's 
well, let's just try and fix that because that that sounds horrible, right? Like that's really daunting. And um, I feel like that can't be possible, right? And so she had had constant medical care over this decade and no one had ever tested her vitamin D ever. And her vitamin D was an 11.7. Now, I will tell you, it is rarely this simple. It's rarely this cut and dry, right? It's more complex in most situations. But in her situation, we supplemented her for a little over six months. Her vitamin D got up to 57. Her oral health issues were healing and everything was going in the right direction. She had had multiple miscarriages at that point. She got pregnant. She carried a baby to term. Her white blood cells were in completely normal range. And that was one thing. So when I think about vitamin deficiencies and mineral deficiencies, there are specific signs you might see in the mouth. We see symptoms around vitamin A deficiency, B vitamins, vitamin C, and there's a, a host of different conditions or diagnoses you may see as a hygienist. There are different symptoms I'm going to see because I'm not looking in their mouth. And what I'm thinking when I'm trying to track down what their deficiency is, is where do those things overlap? If you have a vitamin E deficiency, what might that look like in the mouth? And what might that look like in the rest of the body? And at PerioProtect, I did present some of those charts where, and that's a resource. And I'd be happy to also provide something like that for you, because I think those are the questions you may be asking as a hygienist with a health history. And your, you know, your ears might perk up a little bit if you see, oh, this is happening in the mouth and this is happening in the body you don't necessarily have to have access to testing to start putting those puzzle pieces together, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's super helpful. And I know, you know, I've learned as well. I've started looking at in from at my patients, I'm checking nitric oxide levels in a lot of cases because I have so many patients that are on PPIs and I'm just like, Oh, yep. Yep. Um, and my understanding is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but if we've got low nitrous oxide and we're trying to implement, we like to do the oral probiotics after mm -hmm. therapy to, you know, repopulate with the good. Um, but, you know, we also understand that we need to do a gut probiotic as well. Obviously it's everything, but my understanding is that if nitric oxide is low, sometimes it's hard to get those probiotics to take. I mean, that is the crazy and very cool thing about the my, microbial populations in our body. They require different environments. So in the mouth, nitric oxide, in the colon, it should be completely anaerobic. And then in the small intestine, there can be some oxygen. And when you brought up um, nitric oxide and the, the microbes that move down into the intestines, it reminded me of one of the other things we do really regularly, which is we give our patients hydrochloric acid after a PPI because PPIs will deplete the hydrochloric acid in the stomach, therefore increasing the pH of the stomach. The problem with that is aside from one or two microbes that I know of in the mouth, most microbes from the mouth when they're swallowed should be killed by the acidity of the stomach. Right. And if you don't have that acidity, all of those microbes are making their way down into the small intestine and even potentially into the large intestine. So those micro environments are critical. Right. And this is again, where I, as a hygienist, I get hung up because I'm seeing these patients who, as soon as I hear, you know, I'm telling, you know, what medications are you taking? As soon as I hear, you know, a meprazole, I'm like, how long have you been taking that? Yep. Oh, it's been years. I'm like, okay, 
because we know that that's not designed for long term. And if they've had 10 years of low stomach acid and high pH, and now I'm seeing inflammation in the mouth, and I'm thinking, man, I feel like I'm up against the wall here. I'm not a doctor. I can't advise them to not take that. But at the same time, I want them to get curious themselves. What's the best way to have those conversations? It's so challenging. You know, one of the things we see with long-term PPI use is because again, the pH of the stomach rises, it does not trigger the release of intrinsic factor, which is what allows us to absorb B12. So we see tons of tissue issues throughout the whole body and neurological issues because we literally cannot absorb the B12 into our bodies. We also see anemia because we can't cleave the iron from our proteins appropriately, right? I think that those little snippets of information, when you share them with your patient, they start to get curious, right? Cause your job is to connect those dots. I, that's my job is to, to give them enough to make them say, oh my gosh, maybe this and this is connected. Maybe this and this is connected. And after the PerioProtect conference, I had a lot of people reach out and say, so how do we find people in our area to collaborate with? And that re the relationship I have with Dr. Blodgett is so powerful because I don't know dentistry, right? I'm, I'm not a hygienist. I have no idea what I would be looking for in the mouth, but those collaborative relationships really allow for um, you to take your knowledge and then share it with the other provider. And oftentimes it's linking, you know, I send people in for oral healthcare with Blodgett. He sends them to me for the rest of the body and connecting providers is a way to connect your patient to their own symptoms, right? And have them start getting curious. Yeah, 100%. And I will say on that front, obviously I'm going to link your information on this podcast today because I know you are located in Oregon, but you do tele, tele doc, right? As far as yeah. being able to reach out to you. Yeah, yeah. You are a fabulous resource if we find ourselves kind of up against it. Because I will tell you, I had a patient just last week that we were talking, she's been on a PPI for a long, long time. And we started talking about that. And she was like, oh, like you could tell she wanted to know more. Um, another patient who it's been four years since she's had even a physical. And I said, I need you to do that. And at the same time, I want them to actually run a nutritional panel. Like there, there's yeah. a lot of things going on. So, you know, and unfortunately, like you said, it's not just dentistry that doesn't totally get all of this. You know, I think patients are overworked and they're seeing way too many patients and they can't get out of the lane because it's just coming nonstop full throttle. So there's not a lot of time to step back and look at the big picture, but I've sent patients to their physicians for things I was concerned about, even, you know, crazy high blood pressure. And they come back and say, oh yeah, I saw him. He just wants me to watch it for a couple of months. And I'm like, this is stroke level high. What is happening? Yeah. It can be really frustrating. So I love that there, you know, we can connect with people like you that really get it and understand and really help patients dig in to say, okay, what, what can we do here to really, really help our body function appropriately? Yeah. And I, I am always so excited to work with people that come from their oral health provider because they tend to be pretty committed at that point. People do not like to know that their mouths are falling apart, right? It's scary. It's scary. And 
So it's, it's fun to work with people that are motivated, but I will say, and I, I share this with everybody, the Institute for Functional Medicine keeps a great provider library. And um, you can go in and type in your zip code and find functionally medicine trained providers. They may not be in the rabbit hole of dentistry yet, right? But they will be open-minded to it and be willing to do that, that research because it, it takes interest and it takes time. Yeah, perfect. That is a, that's great information to know. Um, I think if you're open to it, I would, I want to do another podcast with you down the road about hormones, because I know you are so knowledgeable and passionate about that, but I just wanted to kind of leave our listeners with wanting more for our next one. Talk to me just a snippet because hormones are so impactful on what we're doing in our chairs. Um, but I also want to tie it to, I know this again, is one of the reasons you develop fluorosophy is kind of why that fiber makes such an important impact on hormone levels and how that can play into helping us as well. Well, thanks for priming that because you know, it's one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, you know, a couple years ago, I, uh, my sister is vegan and she said, Hey, have you heard of the bean queen? And I was like, don't talk to me about one more nutrition fad. And then my mom said, Hey, you might want to check out this researcher. You know, she's pretty smart and educated. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Fine. And so I looked into this research by Karen Hurd, and she does have a book called the bean queen, lots of credit to her. Um, and I learned something so incredibly valuable that shifted everything I do in my practice. I learned that soluble fiber fiber primarily in our diets from beans and lentils. That's where bean queen comes from. Those are the highest sources, but soluble fiber specifically binds bile and bile is what carries estrogen out of our body. Once it's been used, it also carries toxins. So when our bodies are trying to get rid of excess estrogen to help our body stay in balance as women, it only leaves the body. If it can bind to soluble fiber bile, estrogen, soluble fiber, that's the molecular composition that can move into the colon and then into the toilet. So we excrete estrogen in our poop. Okay. If we don't have soluble fiber, it gets reabsorbed into the bloodstream at the distal small intestine. And then we have this elevation of estrogen, more elevation of estrogen, more elevation of estrogen, because we're still making it. And it becomes out of balance with our progesterone and our testosterone. And we have hormone symptoms. And that can be acne, it can be migraine, it can be cramping, it can be a litany of symptoms that we see early on in life. And it increases disease risk, hormone-related disease risk later in life. And then one other snippet that I think is really important is that estrogen, when kind of left unchecked, increases inflammation really significantly. And so we can just have all sorts of random symptoms that are associated with estrogen not leaving the body effectively. What is, tell me the differences really quickly between soluble and insoluble because fluorosophy has both, correct? No, fluorosophy is soluble. And that is because we get, we tend to, if you're paying attention to your diet, you're probably getting plenty of insoluble fiber. So when you think of insoluble fiber, think about vegetables and fruit and how they crunch. Insoluble fiber gives the plant its structure. And so- 
Um, for years, I was told by my doctors, you just need to eat more fiber. That's why your gut is upset. And I was like, I'm eating 12 servings of vegetables and fruit a day. How is this possible? Right. I didn't know through my undergraduate, through my master's degree, I did not learn this, that soluble fiber, which is the fiber that becomes gelatinous. So think about chia pudding. Think about when you open a can of beans and you pour the beans out and you have all that gelatinous fluid around those beans, that is soluble fiber. And because when it enters our body, it starts to absorb and it starts to bind, it not only improves digestion and elimination, whether you lean towards diarrhea, constipation, or anywhere in between, because of that adaptogenic ability to absorb fluid, but it binds our bile, binds our toxins, and it feeds the microbiome. It is really, I think in our uh, nutritional approach today, what we're missing, we're really missing that focus. And so many people now don't really tolerate legumes very well. And that's due to microbial shifts in the, in the digestive tract. And so we have plenty of patients that are paleo um, or keto, and they don't need any sources of soluble fiber on a regular basis. Right. And so while they may be eating a whole food diet, they're missing the binding of that bile, which is made of cholesterol, by the way, if you're trying to get, trying to lower your cholesterol, they're missing the binding of the bile, the toxins, the estrogen, and then that elimination factor. So that's why we supplement now. Yeah. So if someone is to start chlorosophy, are they notice some GI disruption at the beginning, potentially depending on what, where they're currently at? I would say depending on how they currently eat generally okay. speaking, but yes, I've had maybe it's about 5% of people say, geez, I really felt that. And we advise starting very slowly because it is going to feed your healthy microbiome. And if those microbes aren't used to being fed, you're going to have activity. There's metabolism happening, right? But when your body responds very poorly to soluble fiber, that's a sign. It's not a sign to stop consuming soluble fiber, well, dietary or supplemental, right? But it is a sign that you need to slow down and rebuild your microbiome. And we typically say, yeah, you're going to need soluble fiber for sure. But probiotics and even electrolytes to help hold water in your GI tract, there's a, an approach that is slow enough slow and steady enough where you can rebuild this micro microbiome and then have really amazing gut health. So I've had people back all the way down to an eighth of a teaspoon. Wow. Yeah. 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 I've, I've heard bone broth is a really great additive as well for healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Bone broth is really rich in glutamine. And that is one of the amino acids that our intestinal cells preferentially use for, um, their own structure and strength. What I will say, most people do very well on bone broth. There is a subset of the population because bone broth has high histamine levels that if there are all, if they're already very sensitive to histamine, then they may notice a negative effect from it. But generally speaking, bone broth is a great addition. Very awesome. Well, I know we are going to put a link on our on this podcast for our listeners to um, check out Fluorosophy and get a discount, which is awesome for you to extend to us. We really appreciate it. Um, if listeners want to know more, and I'll put this in the link as well, but the website is Think Fluorosophy and it's F L O R A S O P H Y dot com. 
Um, and then I also will put a link so that um, our listeners can reach out to you if we need to collaborate or, or some patients or, you know, like, hey, I, I wanted, I got to talk to Megan. Um, <laughs> you are at bioloungepds.com. And again, I'll put all those links in, but so we are so appreciative of your time with us today and can't wait to have you on again in the future. Like I said, we got to talk hormones because that's such a big thing. But is there anything that you want to leave us with today? Well, I just wanted to tell you that for your providers, for your hygienists that are looking to give a resource to the patients, I did create a handout for you and you can access that at thinkfluorosophy.com backslash bulletproof dash hygiene. So it's unique for you guys. The discount is there, but there's also a downloadable handout that you can use for your patients and it will just start to get them thinking. Awesome. And is that part of the nutritional deficiency? Yes. Awesome. Yay. Thank you so much. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you. We can't wait to hear more from you. Um, I know my listeners are going to love this. And you guys, if you have questions, if you have thoughts, reach out to Megan, reach out to me, come join, hop in on the Mighty Network and ask questions. This is a community. We have to do this together. So everybody have a great week and we will see you next time. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast. We hope you've had as much fun as we have. Don't forget to click subscribe for a lot more where this came from. We appreciate your support and promise to keep the hygiene gems coming. Keep track of upcoming Bulletproof Hygiene events by visiting bulletproofhygiene.com or download the Mighty Networks app and search Bulletproof Hygiene to stay connected. We want to hear from you.